Box presents The Art of Wargaming. I'm Yaga Malark. And I'm Onishiro. And this is The Substantial and The Insubstantial. And much like the name implies, the, the chapter itself is rather insubstantial when it comes to solid concepts. So I'm going to urge all of our listeners right now to give this one a read yourself. If, you, if you've been listening to this and, and reading along with the book, Outstanding, I'm glad you've been participating in the discussion. But if you haven't been reading the book, for this one, really check it out. You can, honestly, you can just find it on Google search. It's a, it's a common, or it's, it's one of those ones that's, what's it mean when it's not under copyright? Everybody has access to it? Mm, oh, you know uh, yeah. Public domain? Yes. Public domain. Yep. It's old enough to be public domain. It's like, you know, 5,000 years old. <laughs> so uh, check this one out because there's a lot more to be gained from it from reading it yourself. That being said, we, we did extract a few key points from it that we want to kind of extrapolate on, but just know that this chapter is, is honestly one that's best read and understood by the individual. Um, that being said, I just got back from friends. So, so jealous. It was, it was honestly amazing. You, you guys are lucky to have me back, uh, because <laughs> it, 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 it was really hard to get back on that plane. I mean, I know that my, my passport would have expired eventually, and they would have said, uh, Monsieur, you're going to need to get your happy ass back to your country of origin. But uh, it didn't happen because I, I left uh, kicking and screaming. But it was an incredible experience just to, to be there and be surrounded by all of that culture and all of that history. It just it seeps into the stones. The, the town that we live in, Missoula, is, I mean, it's young by, by, by comparison. I mean, it's an infant by comparison. It's only probably a hundred or so years old, if, if that. It's a relatively new addition to the world. I mean, this area was settled by the natives before us, but as this town exists in its current form, this has only been here for so long, but Paris has been there forever. And uh, Lundunum, I think I'm pronouncing that right, the, the Roman Correct. ruins in Lyon, um, you know, those, those civilizations, or those stones have been standing there, standing watch over civilization. It's, it's incredible to imagine the length of time that some of these things have existed on this planet. And it was just an honor to be there. And the food was amazing. The people were incredibly warm and hospitable. Um, yeah, oh, I, I was very nice pleased. That's to hear. Yeah. I... And, there, and there wasn't nearly the conflict that you see on the news. Like, I always hear on the news these, these issues over there. And I, what I found in France was a very healthy democracy. And what I found in Amsterdam was very healthy assimilation. And it was, yeah... It was a very nice place to be, in all accounts. That's <laughs> fantastic to hear. And the, the museums, if, if you get the chance to go to the museums, like Oni or any of the listeners, uh. the Louvre, the Orsay, there's this Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam that was incredible. Um, I mean, they're worth it. They're totally worth it. I mean, they, they, they might seem to be this touristy thing, but then you're standing before this painting that is, like, larger than my wall. Yeah. And, and it's it's all basically to Ugh. scale, and everything is perfect, and you're like, somebody painted this. Yeah. It, it's honestly worth it just to stand in the presence of that kind of mastery. Hundreds, if not thousands of hours. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we were in the Louvre for a day-ish, like, obviously shorter than a whole day, but it was... I have to have a big have a big shout out to my wife right now. I uh, I can't do very long on my my feet. I have a spinal injury that keeps me from, from being very active at the moment, and so she pushed my hundred and sixty pound 
uh, Batuski through all these museums we went to. So, you know, Court Cathars, you're amazing. And uh, she was the reason I got to see half this stuff. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was totally worth it. Totally worth it. Um, but, yeah, so France France is outstanding. But beginning to come, uh, what you got? What's going on? Um, you giving a pointer. Yeah. Sorry, thanks for catching that. Uh, first of all, that is really brutal, but I'm glad that there was a facility, you could be facilitated in a way that made it so you didn't have to, like, not be able, you couldn't enjoy it at that point, if you were walking around in yeah. pain like that. Oh, yeah, I, I would not have been able to it's, last, at, like, an hour, and all the stairs in, in those museums, uh, there's no way I could have done those uh, with, with the issues that I'm, that I'm currently experiencing, so... No, and they were very accommodating. Uh, everybody in the museums was very was very cool about it. Was very understanding. Um, like we tried to be cool about it. I asked her a couple of times to go to ramming speed, but she didn't. She didn't think that was a good idea. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that's the other thing. Um, we can cut this out or not, but uh, should we censor? Uh, Names? Mm. Whose names? Your wife. Oh no, I wanted I wanted to give her a shout out for sure. Okay, cool. Right on. I'm into it. I mean my my name will still be a secret. I mean it's not that much of a secret, you can look it up. But I'll still go by my pen name. But no, I, I definitely wanted to give her a shout out. Um Okay, cool. But yeah. Well, let's resume then. I, I could talk about France all day, but we, that's not what this podcast is about. This part is about the art of wargaming. And so I got to come back and, and play a game against Kaji, which was outstanding. And then I got to go to a studio practice for the first time in forever. If, if any of you are following our new Instagram, you will have seen practices from the most, or pictures from the most recent Stygia practice. Um, nice picture of Tethian getting uh, Grizzly right in the jaw. Right, right. I had to include oh. that one because it's just a beautiful, nice uh, uh, shot to the jaw. <laughs> Chris took it like a champ, but I, I couldn't believe I caught it on camera. I was so proud of myself. Seems to be the theme of the week. Yeah, yeah. I heard that the gladiators were a little headshotty this week too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely it's extra saucy today. Well, there's something coming in the way. I don't know if the rest of the. I know California's on fire, so. I, mm. By the time of this recording gets out, I hope that you guys have gotten some relief, because, good lord. Yeah, um, so that's just a nightmare. But we've got some weather changes coming ourselves up here in the far icy north. Well, not as far as Canada, but we don't have any listeners in Canada yet, so <laughs> we're further north than you. Um, actually, no, France is technically further north than us, aren't they? Mm, I think, mm, questionably, yeah, I think, yeah. I, I don't know. That's a good question. Anyway, so practice was outstanding. Apart from the, 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 the few headshots I was seeing, I saw a lot of improvement in fighters that I haven't seen for a while. Uh, a lot of people who were decent um, are pretty good now. And there was one new guy who I had never seen before, hadn't fought before, and he his basics were quite good. I'm, I would be surprised if he had come to us and not had some previous training because uh, even though he looked bewildered, he moved with some degree of proficiency. Mm-hmm. Like, I was impressed. Excellent. Was impressed. Um, so practice was out, outstanding. I've, I've got to hit a Sunday. Well, I know you're, you've got timing issues. That's uh, probably what you've got. It's so rough right now, yeah. But that's okay. 
points. That's great to hear, though. Yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. The practice was real nice. Um, Everybody was vibing well. I enjoyed it. Um, I, you know, I have the same exact feeling about the Gladiators. I'm so sad I missed them today. uh, Soon. We're lining it up. Yes. Um, But they... the good part, one of our, uh, the same, our fighters are just getting better. And not just uh, fighting style. Like, this is a, these these kids are younger and, you know, they're learning a lot about life. You sure. know? Oh, yeah. And I had some really good conversations uh, today. One of which, you know, was like some pretty deep stuff about, like, you know, depression and things being bad. And he's like, but why? But why be that way? You know, why not be positive? And I'm like, awesome. You know, because like at that point, it's easy to continue to be negative and sure. be hard on yourself, and just it doubles down. It just makes everything worse. It does. Yeah. You know, so like at least trying to be positive or open minded towards positivity, or those good things happen can be good in those tough spots, especially if that's what he's thinking about. Having a good attitude definitely helps. I mean, if you've got serious mental health issues, it's uh, you definitely need to have treatment and everything for that yep. but uh, it, there's no no situation that trying to think of a positive way to to spin it doesn't help I guess absolutely and that's it that was all you know like so that's it's good to hear you know like definitely he's talking about work real life stuff sure you know? sure but on the other end um, uh, one of our students uh, who has picked up a strange style that I really am attached to which is like a min red shield style. Okay. Which is that like off hybrid, you know, DPS defensive style. Mm-hmm. Really good on like wall edges, you know, mm, so so depending, you know, on skill type. Because you really limit your red shots. So the whole point is that you you have a wall, you have a shield for yourself, and you can still throw armor negating and. Uh, shield destructing shots but it really limits your angles for the two-handed shots you know you, you still have your a wide variety of one-handed shots you can do but what are the techniques i picked up from my unit and i came to realize that this was like a, a just an accidental thing it wasn't necessarily something that was planned but then became legend was this idea of punch and pie but I was always mm-hmm. under the assumption that when you... And that's what he's talking about, when you have a shield and when you have a min-red. But I was always under the assumption that when you got to the enemy's lines, you just drop the shield, and then you're a min-red user, but that the shield exists in order to get you there so that you're not having to deal with spears and arrows and javelins and all the other things that can be an issue with a min-red until you hit the enemy's line. Which is a great concept. And, I mean, the meta version of that would be having the strap shield so you could use red and when you started to get in that situation where you did no longer wanted it throw throw it on your back right Right. but you know that's having the perfect shield design is a little tough takes some time you know but these kids have picked up he one the one i'm speaking of is quite skilled with with uh two-handed sword fighting sure um, turtle and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and he loves the shield in red and one of our returning students who has quite a few years of experience also wanted to try it just just naturally I haven't done it in a long time sure you know he 
he hadn't seen anybody doing it that to my knowledge recently but he wanted to try it and instead of being like whoa 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 you should not you know this is an advanced technique like this is you know you need to be really good or or like you know any kind of negativity he was like yeah dude you want me to show you some shots and like oh perfect do you want me to and he literally he pulled himself off the field and the two of them did some training and some sparring and he showed him a bunch of like tricks and like it was fantastic to see when your students can become good teachers you know that you have succeeded at your job Congratulations. <laughs> you are just as responsible as I am. Oh, well, thank you. you I, mean, I try. Uh, again, this is a this has been a team effort for uh, as many years as you've been a part of it at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I you guys have probably learned listening to the podcast. I am a I, I try not to be as monotone, but I am a I'm a I'm a data sink. I I know things. I'm I'm not necessarily the most interesting or engaging of people. Whereas Oni has <laughs> personality <laughs> to spare. Um, I take offense to that statement, good sir. But he makes me palatable, you know. <laughs> I think you're quite palatable. Well, that's and that's part of the reason you make me palatable is because you, <laughs> you find me palatable in the first place. Uh, well, I think you'd be a fool to not. But speaking of things you're hopefully going to help me be better at, I just got into For Honor. Uh, <gasps> like the week before I left for France, I got into like I, I just started playing it. Um, and of course I'm still into it because it's an amazing game and we get to geek out on that a little bit more because I know he was talking about it before but I was just sitting here like a stone looking at him being like sure yes no but now we can we can talk about how these concepts apply to these fighting games a bit more uh, I'm an Orochi guy I know you, you're going to love me or you're going to hate me for it but fast I, boy. I, I do love Orochi um, and uh uh, Oni Oni has his his own favorites too. I'm sure that aren't Orochi. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, to be honest, it's all about how you play. And there's two ways you can play Orochi. You know, you can use your right bumper. Oh, oh, <laughs> that was abrupt. <laughs> the, the the firing place just cut out. So now we're going to be much louder by comparison. And cleaner. I'm sure some of you have been wondering what that noise was, and now you know. It's the fireplace. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, there's two ways to play it. You can rely on your right bumper or your R1 to let you let it do the dirty work for you, or you can use skill, and you can use uh, meta and defensive techniques to properly fight and to properly do things. And, you know, I I wouldn't at all say I was worried, but I, I would have been bummed if you were a right bumper type of player but i didn't suspect that at all i didn't i don't like the idea of light spam for one thing people catch on to it very quickly and know how to deal with it uh for the other thing it's not what the character's set up to do he's he's all set up to do what i've been calling parries but i've now been just found out are called deflections um and (sighs) and that's just kind of the way i like to play so Uh, proud he's he's it's an amazing character so proud Um, yeah, if you're using them the right way. Um, again, I've I've come up against Orochis who do the light spam thing, and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm just gonna, okay, I'm gonna hard block, and then I'm gonna come underneath this, and and now I'm lighting you up, and just walking circles around you with this this uh, you know this dodge boom dodge boom. Right, and it is and it is a tool, and that's the thing that people I don't like people just saying like, oh, you use R one, 
You are just the worst. You're the scum of the earth. The Orochi is set up to do the R1. It's a, it, it's it a is, tool. It, yeah, and you can do the R1 right bumper. Uh, it's a three-strike combo. Yeah, it's, it's one great. Of, it's one of the ones they're supposed to do, but I like to come to it out of a spinning dodge three-strike combo. Yeah. Spinning dodge three-strike combo. Or, as we're talking about, deflections. Yes. Which is absolutely fantastic, like using a meta, like if you're going for parries, right, which is your heavy attack on timing to cancel, you have high risk. Unless you're Hidokiri for the next uh, two days, <laughs> who's getting a nice little slap on the wrist nerf. Um, but just because, I think, personally, they the hyper armor upon startup made it so it was a safe option. The whole point of the parry is, if you mess up the timing, if you, if you go too early, you're going to get hit. Yes. If you go too late, you're going to get hit. Yes. So... It's it's a it's a gamble, you know. If you mess up the timing, you you don't trade unless you have hyper armor. And that was the thing is the hyper armor started so early early for the hedo that it didn't matter if they messed up; they're always getting that punish. Right. And so it rewarded characters for bad play. And so I think that's why it's getting a nerf, and I'm into it. And I love hedo carry; he's great. The mind games are fantastic, but I don't spam heavies on people, you know, like. And that's the whole deal. You're talking about deflections. That's a, a meta defensive technique where you are not only dodging, right, to avoid the damage, but to hopefully and successfully land a deflection. Yeah. W- which for Orochi are some really awesome variable timing unblockables that track like a mother. They're fantastic. So if you dodge too early, you get hit. Well, I mean, no, depending, you know, if you dodge too early, you just, you dodge the attack and the window misses you completely. Right. Excuse me, I misspoke. Right. If you dodge too late, you get hit. Yeah, that's when you get hit. But that's a much better ratio. I prefer it. Not every character has it, so you should take advantage of it. And my personal favorite, Kensei, has a very similar technique as well. Yeah, I like Kensei. Yeah, absolutely. You can you dodge to attack, and it gives. I think it's like dip, uh, defensive. Uh, oh, shoot, man. Oh, gosh darn. Uh, you know, I'm really good at knowing the techniques, but not knowing <laughs> the label on the technique. <clears throat> uh, superior defense or something like that. Okay, I think that's okay. what it is. But it's a dodge that doesn't give you like a move. It's just it stops their attack. It stuffs their attack. Gotcha. Yeah, but you know whatever. I'm just excited. I'm excited you're in the game. I'm excited I am too. Uh, again, it's a nice way to get some melee in when I'm not necessarily able to do it physically. So uh, I, I like the mechanics of the game. I find that it does translate really well to, to Bell. Yeah. Uh, as long as you're allowing for for the fact that like multiple hits. Again, an Orochi and Bellagarth would be OP because we are two-point kills. <laughs> hey, it's, ah, it is. It's your style. You love two-handed... Uh, long swords. I do, I do. Uh, so does one of my unit mates, Dakini, but he's much better. He, he. That's. I. I don't think I've. I've rarely seen him with anything other than a bow, or a long blue. I don't think I've ever seen him pick anything else up. But he's very good with both because he's he's very focused on them. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a cool style. It's a cool game. I'm looking forward to chatting with you about it. Uh. Um, but speaking of Bellagarth. We do have some new officers. Uh, mm. our, our, our 
big ruling body just got some new names that I wanted to throw out. Um, our new president is Warmaster Hakan. Mm. Vice president is Sir Guts. Oh. Webmaster is Darian. Treasurer Fidel. And PR coordinator Lady Merrick. We wanted to just give a shout out to you guys and uh, uh, wish you a hopeful, good, good uh, term of office and a, a faithful fulfillment of term of office. Um, some big shoes to fill. Congratulations. Yeah. I know, I do know, I know Guts. He's fantastic. And Hakan is a Stygian boy. Yes, we, we do claim him uh, often because uh, he, he spent some time with us here. I actually lived in a, a fighter house with him one time, a concept I want to talk about on a show. Maybe this show might be a good time for it. Actually, yeah, it would. Uh, um, but yeah, best of luck to you guys. And <laughs> Fidel, I've known Fidel as long as I've been fighting. Uh, and, and, oh, and they're just she's one, of the, fantastic. one of the greatest people I've ever met. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and and to the other two, uh, Darian and Lady Merrick, I don't necess- I don't think I know y'all, but I have no doubt that because you hold this office, you are going to prove competent to your position. So most excellent. Good luck to you, and I hope to see you at my next event. Oh, speaking of all these fantastic fighters from all over the nation, um, why don't you relay some? interesting information that you talked to me about. We got some outstanding news from our producers. Our very first diagnostics, uh, which is to say, like, numbers regarding the show. Mm. And we wanted to give a shout-out to all of you guys because uh, this is the first time I'm I'm getting to see where y'all are from. And at this point, we have 103 total downloads, which, Mm. again, thank you guys so much, and thank you for listening to the show. Um, We're in 19... Of the 50 United States. We're in six countries. uh, And those countries are the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany, Netherlands, France, and Bangladesh. We have one listener in Bangladesh. (laughs) So hello to everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope the show is, uh, is useful to you. Um, yes. And if you, we're going to have some plugs at the end of the show if you want to get in touch with us, if you have any feedback or uh, um, any things you'd, you'd want to see us talk about, uh, please feel free to get in touch with us. Please, let um, us know. But yeah, without further ado, I think we'll get into the meat and potatoes of kind of what we're doing here with, the, with our episode. Sorry, my cat was invading. As he does, he was going to sit right on my show notes because he really wanted to. Doing cat things. Doing cat things, right as I needed to look at my my show notes. Like we said, this this chapter is is really it's a, it's a personal thing. It's one of those. It's very much like the Book of Five Rings. I'm not sure if I'd ever try to teach the Book of Five Rings again, because mm. so much of what he's saying uh, is is something that needs to be internalized by the reader. It's not necessarily something I can explain to you mm. or provide examples for. Um, but one of the big themes of this chapter is the idea of taking control. And we've talked about this before, which is taking control of the battle, making sure that things occur on your terms. And, and particularly in this chapter, he, he's talking about attacking where your opponent cannot defend and defending where your opponent cannot attack. So this it doesn't necessarily have to be as vague as it sounds. If, uh, def- defending something where your opponent cannot attack, if you have a central point that needs to be defended... Instead of, and you have two forces who you can use to defend this, instead of putting them both on that central point, if you put them out, like triangularly, between your opponent and that central point, you cover far more zones of approach 
than you do clustered around mm-hmm. that central point right there. Truly. And so that's that's defending where they can't attack because what, what they're trying to attack is like however far be up behind where you're defending, but this this zone defense is preventing them from actually getting wherever they need to be. Mm-hmm. Attacking where they cannot defend is obviously catching them off, them off guard. Trying to outthink them, trying to outmaneuver them, trying to outtech them, uh, whatever whatever advantages we can gain. Open a hole. Yeah, open a hole. In whatever war game you're playing, this is what everyone is trying to do, though. That's something that, that we all need to realize, is that even though we are pursuing this this idea of excellence and this idea of outthinking our opponents and uh, improving our own game, they're all doing the same thing. Correct. Like Oni and I are sitting here like giving away our trade secrets, not just to one another, but to everybody who's listening. Um, but but most people are, are, are trying to pay attention in some way or another. Most people are trying to learn how to better themselves. And so this is something you need to be aware of at all times. Anytime somebody's fighting you on the field, they, they're, they're probably sizing you up. They're probably trying to figure out what your capabilities are, what your danger zones are, and how best to defeat you. Uh, very rarely do eyes rest idly on the field. They're there to play game. They're yeah. There to, yeah. Most people are here to play, be serious competitors. There are some people who go out there just to have a good time, just to just to sport about, or just uh, they they come and they're they're non coms, uh, and they get and, and they're or people who are into the LARP aspect. And I hope you have a fun game. I hope I hope it's still fun for you as well. But I am probably closer to what we call a stick jaw. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm definitely not a stick jock. What What is this foreign term you speak of? So I don't know if I believe you. Are you using sarcasm? You're using that, <laughs> that secret language of sarcasm, aren't you? Mm, I may be. Mm. <laughs> Most definitely, And now we've yes. gone down the rabbit hole. <laughs> How do I know when he's saying something serious now? Uh, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely a stick jock, as they would say. But you, the, again, you know there's, this. there's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with it. Like, there's a lot of ways to enjoy these games. I'm sure that mm-hmm. Dagger here has a similar idea. Amp Guard, uh, Hema, any of the other ones we may not have thought of. SCA, uh, you're going to have people with different different varied levels of involvement, um, and they're all going to think about things differently. But that that doesn't mean that even even a person who's just coming out to LARP, they are still a human being. They are still a thinking, reasoning creature who Absolutely. is seeking to improve themselves anyways. So if you're throwing repetitive shots or you're cheesing them the same way every time, you're honestly teaching them. Even even like, even like if they're not looking for it, people learn. We're just learning creatures. Yep. That's what we do. It's in the name, Homo sapien. And if you can't recognize that, you're going to have a hard time. So... You're- Oh, go ahead. No, please. no, I, I, I had nothing more. I, actually, I, I was, I, that was like a, I, it was like a weird sound. <laughs> so please finish your thought. <laughs> oh, I am just, I was just saying that's if you can't figure that out, you're never going to hit the third stage of like mind games. Right. You're always going to get trumped by those people. And everything is mind games. Everything you've ever done in life, every job interview you've gone in for, every customer service interaction. <sighs> Uh, every game you've ever played, they've all involved mind games. Whether you mean it or not. Whether you know you're playing or not. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those strange things. So I, I think these, these, these concepts, these books, are not just applicable to these things, they're applicable to life. There's a reason that The Art of War and The Book of the Five Rings 
are often found in the self-help or like business section. Like I honestly, the last time I went to look for a copy of the book of five rings, it was in the business section of the Barnes and Noble, mm. which tells you <laughs> how, how applicable these mindsets are to everybody. And we're not necessarily thinking wow. of everybody. I'm not Why like preaching a, a, a scorched earth policy or anything along those lines, but you know, knowing what people are capable of, that's, that's just something important to know, I think. So once you know this, once you know that everybody is trying to get inside each other's heads, basically, and once you know that there is a meta to be had in any human activity, because we are dramatic social creatures, even the most <laughs> introverted of us, like myself, we still enjoy things. I, I, I love, I, I've gotten hooked on House of Cards. I didn't, I didn't, I think I would, and I had to get all the way through it because I love politics and I just <laughs> need to get over that. Um, but so how do you, how do you actually become the best? If everybody's doing this, if everybody is trying to become better and there is this culture of, uh, what is it? The truest, uh, all art is theft. I can't remember who said that recently, mm. but there's, there's a quote, all art, all art is theft. This is the art of war gaming. Everything everybody has ever done has been based on somebody else's idea. That's just the nature of human beings. So, yeah. But how do you get to be the best? There are people who, who become preeminent and stay that way for most of my career. The fighter Shy has, has been preeminent and has stayed that way for the majority of it. From the moment he came on the scene, um, Achilles and his brother Hobbit, they both have just been crushing it. Mm. And, they, and they have, have just achieved this preeminence within the sport. And there's been other names, I'm sure, all across all the country. Them. All three of those are slayers. But these are these are people. But how do they do that? How do they how do they get to that point and maintain that? Well, from a huge part of that, I think is in practice. You have to practice constantly. You have to practice on the field with large groups of people. Mm-hmm. You have to practice one on one and and mm-hmm. learn the nuances of that. You have to practice in all the different styles. You have to practice in all the different situations. And then you have to practice on your own. You have to be doing whatever pell work or shadow boxing or um, forms are helping you advance as a fighter and help cement these things in your head so that they just become muscle memory on the field and so that you improve as a fighter. All these things are about practice. And through practice, we're a, like, was there anything else that you would do for like, the practice to, oh. to get good practice out of things? I have the Kung Fu attitude. I love practice in all things. You know, I like excellence in all things. I just make it a habit in life. You know, so if you're making tea, you do it the best you can. Every time you make it, be like, how did that, how did I like that? You know, like, was it good? Was it the right temperature? Did I steep it too long? You know, why not learn something from every experience if you can? Be open-minded to it. Make it a habit because then you'll be able to do it in an instant. You'll be able to do it naturally, you know, without thinking. You're just constantly like, how can I do that better? You know, when you go into a fight, how can I do that better? What did I learn from that? Even if, even if, you know, it seemed one way, you know. So that's just called, that's cultivating that mindset, that, that open sponge-like mindset that most people lose after the age of about 15, Mm. uh, because whatever thing they know is best. By the way, I, I, I say that because at 15, when I first entered this sport, I thought I knew everything. (laughs) 
because <gasps> I had read... You didn't? I read some sword fighting manuals, yes. <laughs> and I had taken some fencing classes, yes. Mm. And I watched a lot of uh, medieval and fantasy-themed movies. Oh. So obviously, I knew everything. Everything there was. There was I, way more than people who watched anime and then came <laughs> into it. <laughs> Weebs. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I came into it with this mindset. And I honestly kept this arrogant full of hubris mindset for about six years before I became truly open to being instructed before I became truly open to hearing what other people had to say and learning the rules so that I could learn how to break them. Like it it honestly took me about six years of being stubborn. And one of the biggest reasons for that was that I didn't get to any sort of events for the Mm -hmm. longest time. I, I, of the people I know in Belagarth, it took me the longest to get to my first event. Mm -hmm. And that stifled my growth because here in Stygia, sure, I could learn the patterns of various fighters and do okay against them. And so I could pretend to have a degree of proficiency, but that very first Chaos Wars, I'll never forget it. I step out on the field the very first time on Chaos Wars and fighters are literally walking through me <laughs> as if I'm not there. Like their, their, their physical presence displaces me. Oh. They kill me. And I am like, I don't even have to like pretend to have like have a good death it wasn't something i had to feign or act i just was in the dirt sprawled i remember that's how i met elrath for the first time i I remember my first thought being like "Ooh, another left-handed fighter and then i was in the dirt and i was just in i was just looking up and i was like what just happened to me and it was like the whole first chaos wars for me everything i thought i knew everything i thought that i that i you know knew about this, uh, this, this whole activity, this whole sport, uh, completely changed in my head. And it still took me several years to like learn that I, I couldn't do it on my own, that just going out and trying to figure out the secrets, you know, just reading the books and just pursuing the, the esoteric knowledge, that wasn't enough. You had to do no. the basics too. You had to learn how to throw the basic shot before you could learn how to do the rap. You had to learn how to do, throw a single shot before you could learn the combo. Like, there's steps, just like in any martial art. and Battle application. So I was stubborn. I was very stubborn at first. I thought I knew best. And honestly, the, the biggest piece of wisdom I could give to a new fighter is be open to instruction from everyone. Mm-hmm. Because about, I would say 66% of them, so say two-thirds, are going to give you advice that either you already know or that isn't going to be that useful to your style. But a third of those people who talk to you are going to give you something very useful. And so, honestly, it's worth suffering all the rest of it in order to get those gems and get the things. Because it's not that people don't have good things to say. It's just that a lot of people's advice is based on the way they fight or the way their body works. The mm-hmm. way that my body swings and, and delivers shots is not the same as the next person. Correct. The, the tricks that I've learned are not going to be your tricks. So there's only so much that I can teach another person. Like there's a lot I can teach you about basic body dynamics and, or, or in, in, in Warhammer, there's a lot I can teach you about the, the basics of rolling the dice and how to look up the stats and, and put in your, your abilities correctly and, and what the armies are supposed to do. And I could probably give a decent introductory lesson into for honor at this point, (laughs) but the, the bulk of the learning has to be done by the person. So again, this idea of practice in all things, in all places, and especially in what you want to get good at. <laughs> <laughs> get good. 
And so in all this practice, one of the one of the fruits that you're able to acquire is the knowledge of your own limitations, the knowledge of, of where the flaws are in your style. And it took me six years of, of just practicing with my own thoughts before I realized that I needed to do some research. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, what, that's the natural progression from practice in my mind is doing research to fill in the holes that you don't actually know. So let's say you're a very good uh, sword on board, a sword on, like a, a sword and board versus sword and board fighter. Uh, that's, that's a style you're really good at. But you're having a really hard time going up against reds. Mm-hmm. So this is a good time to start doing some research. Yeah, uh, this is a good time to start looking around and and trying to figure out how to fill in that hole because the time's going to come where you're going to need to fight a red. You can't just say, you know what, I just don't fight reds. <laughs> good or in, luck. Or in Warhammer, you're just like, okay, I just won't go against knight lists. I just won't do that. Uh, it's like, okay, you're going to. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, you have to prepare for it. Um, it has to be something that you're that you're able to do. That's it. That's in your repertoire. So there's a couple ways to go about that. Which part? Taking on a red or taking on a knight? Oh, both. Oh, both. As 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 well. With the knight list, it's about bringing the tools required for said things. You gotta dismantle it properly. That's right. You have to need something that's T eight or high or a strength eight or higher uh, that does a lot of damage and does it consistently. Uh, so relying on orcs shooting weaponry, perhaps not an orc uh, melee weapon, perhaps yes. Uh, I as an admac. Uh, prime like primary player, I love my Honor Gardoon crawlers with neutron lasers. Uh, they are my bread and butter. They come with me to <laughs> every fight, um, and with them, my Castellan robots with incending carbines mm. or phosphor. It's the phos. No, it's the phosphor. Yeah, I, I like to go with the the full phosphor layout because then you end up getting thirty six shots that deny cover uh, and are neg two AP. I think. Yeah. Talking about bread and butter, that is a hot butter knife right there. Yes. That's enhanced with all the good ad mech stuff that you can do. So, um, but even with this, yeah, I, I had to do research in order to get to these points. What? So how do you, so that, that's how I deal with a night list. And I had to do some research to do that because for the first time, I think it was, uh, it was Sumatai. Mm. <laughs> it was the first one in our gaming group to get an all night list. And I remember being so frustrated the first couple of times I went up against it because I had no answers for that. Yeah, that, that was a concept that, that was uh, I hadn't really seen before in our small group or in the, the tournaments that we'd played in here locally. I love it. I'm sorry. It's terrible. I know. No, I, it's, you know, since then I've gotten the, the, the ability to run an all-night list, and I do so on occasion. It's, well, it's fun to, is it fun to do it's PvP? It's so to, much fun. Yes, exactly. Gundam battle. How can, how can you not love that? I do. I mean, that's the thing is, is especially if you're, if you're going against, if I'm going, if I'm using an all night list and I'm going against either another all night list or a list that is capable of taking me, I'll have a good time. I'm one of these, I'm one of these, you're going to share something personal here. I, I'm like Catholic ish, which is to say like, (laughs) I, (laughs) I I have a lot of the, the characteristics and mannerisms of a Catholic without so much of the dogma. But one of the things that I'm, I'm very Catholic about is that I, I need to be punished for my actions. Anytime I've done something wrong, I'm usually the first person. I'm not a snitch for anything other than myself. I snitch on myself all the time, but I don't snitch on, on anybody else because that ain't my business. Um, this but, is true. I can attest. He's a good boy. <laughs> but this also plays a part when I'm playing games. If I'm playing a Warhammer game and my opponent 
folds easily, like they don't give good sport, I don't rejoice in my easy victory. I, I, I honestly get a little, a little miffed because I was I, I, I like the grind. I like the, the matches that I don't know if I'm going to win. I know that's not healthy. I know as a commander and as a fighter and as whatever, you should really enjoy those clean victories that just come easily and where you have, you've done everything right and the victory falls into your lap. That's the whole point of this. That being said, you learn so much more from something that's difficult and there's just so much more to gain, I guess from the difficult one, or at least it feels like it. Maybe that's just the gambler in my blood, but... No. I completely agree, 100%. I don't care for the easy wins. Um, I... I don't know. They're fine. I like to... I do like to help people learn. If they... If I can see them trying to learn and that they learn something, then it's worth the time. You know, then... Then, you know, it's not time wasted. Right. You know. But, uh... (sighs) A good fight is so much better. Yes. I'd rather have it at 5% HP left, you know, just the sliver, than, like, just a straight shutout. That's not... I mean, they're great to see, but, like, in to be in, like, to you're going to learn so much from that. You're going to, like, advance so much as a fighter and your mind if if you're going in with that open mindset. And for me, it was being an artist i learned about uh criticism at a young age and i got over it real quick and learned that that was the biggest key to my success about getting into getting better at being an artist and thusly you know in life well my my war master valis taught much the same thing when i first started fighting even even before he was my war master when he was just the wise dude of the realm. Fellas. He advised us all the time to get out there and fight people who are better than us. He noticed that, that we would run away. Um, like Thumbs and I talked about this a little bit while he was on. We had, did not have the uh, ability to take the Urukai on on a front-on-front front fight. Mm-hmm. So the DGMA would often <clears throat> like use other units against them, like yep. maneuver them against mm-hmm. other units, or just try to maneuver in such a way where they could hit them, mm-hmm. you know... <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you remember those early days. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Valis saw this and he said, "You know, I I, you know, I appreciate the tactical acumen, but as fighters, you need to to go head to head. You need to sp- at least spar mm. with people who are better than you, so that you can learn something more. Because you're going to learn far more from those losses than you are from easy victories. And I guess that just stuck with me. Yeah, that that piece of advice. Um, so that's a huge part of this research is being open to it, being, being humble enough to admit that no fighter is perfect, that no style is perfect, that no form is going to defeat any enemy. This isn't Naruto. You know, it's not one of those things where you can have an unbeatable, unblockable form. It is a matter of practicing and, and constantly evolving and researching your own flaws and being humble enough to admit those, I think. Absolutely. Um, and like you were speaking of earlier, we talked about your Warhammer K version of that, of that research. Yeah. And in Bell, personally, when we were talking about learning to fight a red, for example, Mm -hmm. my personal style is to confront it specific, as you were saying, as we were talking about, to confront it specifically head on. Like it's, I'm going to find red fighters. You know, I don't, I have a hard time with them. Why red fighters mess me up, pole arms mess me up, I don't know how to fight that. Instead of being like, well, I'll just fight around it, or, 
you know, uh, it's, I'm going to find those people and I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go fight them. They're going to whoop on me and I'm going to figure out why they're whooping on me. Right. And I'm going to figure out what I need to change, what I need to do different. And I'm going to try it. What happens when I do something different? What kind of result do I get out of that? And that brings us actually to the next part of this process, which is experimentation. Is is realizing where you have these failings, doing research, getting these ideas, getting this this uh, this other knowledge from other places, and then applying that in the form of experimentation with something new. Do you have, like, like Oni was saying, don't know how to fight reds and, and spears? Line up against them every time during the large field battles, and not only try new things yourself, but when you see somebody do something successfully against uh, the type that you're going against. Observe that. Say, what? okay, what did they just do there? You know, what, what maneuver was it that enabled them to get that kill, to make it look easy, this thing I'm struggling with? Uh, definitely learn from people. You may not be able to move exactly like they do, but you can still apply the concept that they're using to whatever you're doing. And that strategy is really only properly utilized if you as well are going after that red, that spearman. Because that's how you're con- you're going to be concentrating on it. Sure, you can watch as you you know fight the shieldman next to him, but you're not going to see the nuances. You're not going to see because you are analyzing their defense at that moment. You're analyzing their fighting style. Right. So if someone is fighting you with them, or you're watching someone fight those people, you're seeing why what's happening is working. Because you're not you're not just seeing it out of the corner. You're like, oh, successful hit. You're like oh, dude, he waited till this window, or he fainted that in, and with multi-man, it was just, he couldn't couldn't hang with it, so. And like with any scientific experiment, this is, this is something that needs a large target population. Mm. One of the things that's, like, hindered me earlier on, like I was saying before, was that I thought by fighting shieldmen in Stygia, I was learning how to fight shieldmen everywhere. And while that was kind of true... It also, every shieldman is different in their own way. They're going to take these concepts, they're going to take these styles, and they're going to use them in a very personal and unique way. Oh, so that's the best part. I leveled up when I started going to more local events, like Chaos Wars stuff in Idaho. I leveled up again when I started going to further away Western events, like ones in, in California. I leveled up way more when I went out east and experienced completely different things than anything I had experienced before in large groups out here in the West. So these concepts, this idea of practice, research, experimentation, there is no ceiling. There is no max level. There's always just the expansion on that idea. But in this pursuit of excellence, in this constant repetitive cycle of practice, research, and experimentation, it is good not to become too eager. I know Sun Tzu says that there is no advisable caution in battle but there is such a thing as there is such a thing as good caution i guess mm-hmm. i mean I, I suppose maybe i'm biased we've already discussed i'm a rochi in in uh, for honor that means i'm a counterfighter i like to wait and see what my opponent is going to do mm-hmm. um i do the same thing in belagarth i often do the same thing in 40k unless i'm doing my shooty army in which case i've already done the math and know what i need to do in that case i'm very back. <laughs> god i love the adeptus mechanicus um i like it though i like the counterfighter style it's a it's a 
good, strong style. But this, this, I, I think that epitomizes what we're talking about here in the terms of mm. patience. I, I wait for my opponent to show me something, and then I act on that knowledge because the one thing, all the preparation I've done in my life cannot tell me the one most important thing in any fight, any battle, any match, which is what is my opponent going to do next? Mm. I'm not a psychic. I, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't have that kind of knowledge. Nobody can have that kind of knowledge. No matter how well you think you know somebody, you don't actually know what they're going to do next. So I say wait and see. Set yourself up in a position where you're able to respond. Make sure that you are, like, I, I adopt a stance in Belagarth that allows me to shoot for any of the, sh- like, the main blocks that I need. It's not a super aggressive stance. It's a very defensive stance. But it allows me to get the blocks I need so that I can transition my, fo- my feet and, if, and move into a counter. It feeds into your counter style. It doesn't make sense, you know, talking about using the tools that you have and that are necessary that work with your style. You know, we've talked about doing that for your goals. If your goal is to be a counter style, to be a counter fighter, then playing defensive is clutch to that. Well, it's also, it's also good to know thyself. Sun Tzu mm-hmm. absolutely recommends that. He's, we've already gone over that. But it took me a while to realize I needed to be a counter fighter. I wanted to be one of those DPS heroes, you know? I, I, I wanted to be one of the ones out there earning the fame, uh, uh, doing the aggressive thing, and it took me a while to realize that I am far stronger as a counterfighter. Like, I make way less mistakes that way. Well, you're famous to me, Malark. And that counts for something. <laughs> if you've changed the life of one person. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so, so you got to engage on your terms, is, is what we're saying here. Um, and and that, those terms might be that you take the first move. If you're a more offensive, aggressive person, like Oni is, Oni mm-hmm. is, a, is a far more uh, fire-based warrior, I guess, <laughs> I would attribute to you. Um, oh, thank you. He moves more aggressively. He's, he's the one who's going to be making that first move, calling the first shot. And if you are good at that, and if that's something that you're naturally gravitating towards, then your patience is making sure that you fire that shot at the right time. And on the other side of that coin as well, I am still a counterfighter. I use the aggression and the forward motion to bait reactions. To force your opponent into doing something. And then I counter. Gotcha. So it's, but the same concept nonetheless, regardless of direction right, right. or force of power. I dig that. I dig that. And anyways, that's, that's, that, uh, that's far more like the hero style that I always, that I always envisioned uh, for myself, but it's, it's it, 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 you have to know I thyself though. It. You have to, if you, if you're a person who isn't naturally gifted toward running and your idea is to be the greatest flanker this world has ever seen, your dreams are unrealistic. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't want to be the one to burst any bubbles, but consider it burst. Yeah. It's not a realistic dream. Uh, a line person, um, a, a support fighter, anything like that, you can still absolutely shine on the battlefield, but that may not be your way of serving. An exceptionally small person um, who isn't very strong of form, if you want to be in the very center front part of the line, you're probably going to struggle. I, I, I've seen people do it. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not here to tell you that you can't achieve it. I'm just saying that... It's that dangerous for you there. It's also dangerous for you there. But <laughs> anybody, can, anybody can achieve what they want to achieve. But we're all naturally inclined toward 
toward one thing or another, and I find it's often based off a of body type. Maybe I'm I'm limited in that thinking. No, but, but um, it's no, but it's exactly that. It's what we were saying before. It's using it to your advantage. If you look at then another type of fighter, like a uh, midge, she does not. You know, she has. I've seen her rock the line. She's a beast, but she is an insane flanker she's an insane behind the line fighter you don't even know she's there and she thwacks you she hits good and you're like thinking you're going about your own gosh darn business and then all of a sudden and you're just like what just happened what happened and you look over and midge is tearing your lineup and it's because even people that have good battlefield awareness and that are looking to their left and their right they might not be looking down so so the size uh, is advantageous to what she's doing. Exactly. Exactly. So she's exploiting that. She's exploiting that natural advantage and turning it into something useful. Um, I used to think, before I actually got any sort of good at this, that being tall was a greater advantage than, than other advantages. Mm. My experience has taught me that it is no greater than anything. I have a couple <laughs> inches of reach. That's it. But when it comes to, especially because now the SCA might be slightly different. The SCA allows headshots. Mm. So in something well, that allows headshots. Well, kind yeah. of. Well, kind of. <laughs> but that, but that, uh. that range might account for something more there. But in a sport where hitting people in the head is not allowed, being tall isn't necessarily the greatest of advantages. Not to say that you can't learn how to use it. But don't depend on it as an end all. I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Dyer because she taught me some serious humility lessons when it came to smaller, shorter fighters and their versatility against tall people. Because she just basically turtle on me. She'd put her shield up over her head, walk underneath my shots, and <laughs> just kill me in the hip. And for like the first three months I knew her, that was our interaction. And I was so angry. And eventually I found out that if I crouched, mm-hmm. and now I have the habit of any time I'm fighting someone, I crouch down to eye level with them. I'm like, we're at least fighting on even terms. And so if I'm fighting a super short person, this is <laughs> it's bad <laughs> for my back, I'm sure. But but it's, it's, it's a habit from that because I don't like having somebody walk underneath my shots. The anger blinded you. It did. It's f- infuriating. I love that. She's good at that. She has a killer style. Just messes with people, for sure. I, I love that, too. I'm a naturally low-set fighter. Word. So I like I dig deeper, too. I do the same thing. I dig. I get low when I see a low-stance fighter like You came like to that. this from martial arts, too, though. Mm. You had been taught proper stancing. Like, mm-hmm. I had to learn horse stance and all that from college classes in Tai Chi and jazz uh, dance was where I, I learned all that. But you, wherever, I think, you were blessed you, coming into it. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely, yeah. But wherever you got to learn it, either way. Dance classes are fun. They're a fun way to learn footwork. I I, I, I seriously would uh, advocate them to anybody. Um, but any of these things, also, it, it comes down to keeping your attack a secret, not necessarily knowing, mm-hmm. letting your opponent know what you're going to do because if if your opponent doesn't know where to defend they have to defend everywhere and if they are defending everywhere then they are weak everywhere and this is harder to do than one might think but it's accomplished through a a number of different methods the feint is a is a Mm. long honored tradition amongst uh anybody who's successful (laughs) (laughs) um 
Way to paint the most beautiful broad stroke I've seen in some time, good sir. I mean, I, I, honestly, I'm looking back through my military history, and I'm like, in most cases, it's a, a nice feint that, that helps with things. Oh, Napoleon sorry. is rolling over in his, like, six coffins. I think they've got mm. him in, like, six coffins, which is crazy. Why, I, why a person needs more than one, I don't understand, but tell that to the pharaohs. Um <sighs> Oh, the Louvre was amazing. We're not talking about France. We're talking about <laughs> keeping your attack a secret. And so, and, and this is done by a number of ways. I know that shield users will often position their position their shield in such a way that you can't see where their their sword arm is positioned. The dark side. So this is <gasps> the cat has been summoned for food. Um, <laughs> so this is this is one way of keeping your attack a secret by actually by actually hiding what where your hand is and the positioning of your arm, your opponent may not know what you're going to be doing. Uh, speaking of which, um, hiding your shot, that uh, dark side style. <laughs> Don't worry about that noise. <laughs> speaking I of that... I told you I'm ad Mac. <laughs> uh, speaking of that dark side style and uh, Hakan earlier... He's who I always think of as an, a cultivated dark side style. He's always hiding his sword arm behind his shield. All of, You never know where his shot's coming from. True right. And he's very good at even hiding the whip of the back shot with behind that shield and just turning it into attack you didn't even know was happening. And, and it's, it's a perfect demonstration. Perfect demonstration. And anybody who's fought uh, War Master Hakan, now El Presidente Hakan, mm-hmm. um, they'll they'll be able to attest to this. It's a it's a very good way of doing things because again, it makes it impossible. How do you stand against that? You know, for me, I'll I'll turn my wrist uh, towards the angle of attack most likely by my opponent's stance. If I can't see my opponent's stance, where is the most likely angle of attack? He's taken that information from me. That's pretty smart. Yep. Now, another way to do this is to stance in, in, a, in such a way that is deceiving as to your true intent. So like stancing low when you intend to go high, stancing high when you intend to go low, to the left when you intend to go right, to the right when you intend to go left. You can do this in For Honor, you can do this in Belagarth, you can do this in 40k. Yep. Uh, this uh, and and uh, we really do need to do that. We need to do it as an extra, like that deployment mm-hmm. episode. We uh, Oni and I came up with this idea, this 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 practical way of organizing deployment that we really do need to share with you at some mm-hmm. point. It's fantastic. But in in that deployment, these secrets can be sewn. Um, and sometimes I like to do this in 40k. Uh, for instance, I'll have a, a group of Castellan robots that are very forward set. And I've got a group of Qatari Vanguard that are with them. It's a very convincing push because these are my punchy bots and they are coming to punch things. And if they do get to the opponent's lines, they wreak some havoc. They got a 12 inch flamer that ain't nothing to shake a stick at. And they got these amazing fists that just unmake things, especially when you put them in Conquer Protocol, game over. I mean, it's awesome. So I put that out there. And my opponent, usually very wisely, spends the first round or two trying to take those darn things off the board. And they are, what they're not shooting at during this time are my onagers, my onager mm. crawlers. Now, that being said, this shot, the, these these bots, if they, it's not it's not true. It's not like a, it's not a, when we're talking about a feint, it's not a shot that couldn't land. If I'm throwing a high cross in order to open up a kidney shot. In order for that high cross to, to get the response that I want from it, 
it needs to have commitment. It needs to have some some oomph, some bite to it. Absolutely. So that if you don't block it, it's going to do some damage. These Castellan robots, if they hit your lines, they're going to do some damage. So yeah. it's not something that you can't react to. But at the same token, if you do react to it, I've got a, I've got a follow-up for it. If you do react to my high cross, I'm coming down with that kidney wrap. Yeah. If you do react to my Castellan robots being forward, uh, I'm going to shoot you. So... It's a lose-lose situation, which, which it's all, every fight you've ever been in, you should be trying to create lose-lose situations for your opponents, giving them choices that anything <laughs> they decide to do is not the right choice. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's my entire style with the red. Uh, I use the glaive a lot differently than a lot of fighters. I don't just pump shots. Whatever, that's great. It is great to do damage, you know, but I, I counter-fight, and... I pick people apart, and I make them. I make them do something. I make them run. I make them press. You know, and we're what we're gonna talk about. You know, if I'm taking a back step and I want them to chase me, right? I want them to come after me, and that allows me to shut them down. It allows me to put them in a situation where I can more easily take care of the situation. You're feigning weakness when you're actually strong. I love it. I love it. It's like we're quoting the dude. Um, <laughs> but you can learn your opponent's secrets. Again, like we were talking about earlier in the show, everybody's doing this. Everybody is trying to keep their secrets. So what can you do in order to make those secrets yours? What can you do to amp up your game? Well, in things like Bellagarth, people love videos. Oh, my good! The, the, the video-taking culture uh, in, Ve- in Bellagarth has just exploded between the GoPros actually mounted on people's heads to people just on the side of the field or actively on the field taking active footage of fighting going on. This can help you learn a huge amount about an area that you might be unfamiliar with. This is something I recommend if somebody's going to Oktoberfest for the first time and they're a Western fighter. Guaranteed, there's going to be fighting there that they have never seen in their careers if they haven't been yeah. east. Uh, same thing with a Beltane or an Equinox or a Winter War or, or anything down in the East Wind. Um, it, people in the West they just have never seen anything like that. Yep. Um, and so I tell them, go and watch these videos. Even if, even if you're not learning about a specific person's style, you're not learning how to spit, you know, defeat like one person, you can learn the style of a region or uh, even the style of an event because of the way that the, the field is constructed and, and learn some things from that. So video is a huge way to be able to learn about people. And the same, like in Warhammer, there's also a lot of video of events. There's so many battle reports out there, it can make you nauseous. Like you could sit there and watch <laughs> battle reports on YouTube and have that be your day job, and you would never run out of a job because there's just there's constantly new ones coming out there and so there's there is video there's video of how to do these things better um shout out tussles shout out tussles yeah for the bellagarth one absolutely um yeah they do some amazing footage and if you're not watching oh. tussles you're you're not learning what you could be um he's fantastic he's phenomenal and then uh, for, for For Honor, it's the same idea. People stream For Honor. Uh, yep. There's all sorts of YouTube videos out there for it, or, and for any fighting game. So any, any of these things we're talking about, there is a resource. There is a, a visual resource that you can conf- consult and, and learn some things about. Having trouble mm-hmm. fighting Reds? Go and watch some Red videos and watch where their swings are at and where their weaknesses are, where they're getting defeated, and incorporate that into your own style. Mm. 
So with this comes observation, and, and the observation can also be live. So if you're at an event and you're not actively fighting, I, I'm not necessarily saying that you should never have any social time whatsoever, but you should definitely be spending some time on the side of the field watching your fellow fighters and getting tips from them that they're not necessarily aware that they're giving you. Absolutely, and even, like, personally, every time I die, you know, some people just walk off the field and just, no, 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 you know, they just relax and take their time, and that's fine, you know, but you're missing out on that. If you if you die, take the opportunity to watch, you know, while you're thinking about, you know, what happened, you know, why did I die, what mistakes did I make, um, you're also picking people apart, you can be looking at them. And watching the style, watching red fighters, you know, what exactly, what are you doing, what are they doing, what's effective, what's not effective, all that. The person that killed you, how, how did they just kill you, how are they killing other people, how can you prevent that in the future? Yeah, I, 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 we tell this to our students all the time too, it's like, watch, you know, when you're, when you're dead, that's not, like, go be social time, that's go to the side of the field and figure out what you did wrong, if you want to get better. Again, if you're a, a casual fighter who has no active desire to, like, pursue this, I, fine. you're probably not listening to this podcast. But if you are... <laughs> Touche, good sir. If you are seeking to better yourself, uh, people are right there. There's live observation right there. Um, and if you're at a Warhammer 40K tournament, it's, it's kind of the same idea. Let's say your round ends quickly. It's either a victory or a defeat. It doesn't matter. You have a perfect opportunity at that point to wander around and look at the competition. Look at the styles that are being used, uh, or at least the different army types that are out there on the board, to get an idea of the the, the universe that you're now operating within. Yep. There's, I, I don't believe there's any rules against it. I mean, if there are, don't do it. I'm not advocating breaking the <laughs> rules, but the tournaments I've been to didn't didn't have any rules against that, and so it was... Yeah, that was that was an amazing time to to go around and just kind of in my mind put together a tentative plan. Again, you don't want to have any sort of concrete plans going on because they'll always just completely dissolve upon meeting the enemy. But having some ideas about what you're going to come up against, that's taking away these secrets and that's mm. studying your opponents and getting something from that. Mm. Um, do you have anything to add to the to the idea of observation, Oni? Oh, absolutely. You just you just nailed everything on the head. Alright, I got it. You can't can't play mind games if you don't know the available mind games. If you don't if you know your opponent, if you're watching them, you're learning what cards they have in their deck. That's right. You're learning what kind of combos they can do, you know, seeing what where they're at. It's it's vital. You gotta be open to that input. You can't it can't just all be about your output. No, and and yeah, and to know your to know oneself and to know the enemy—that is how to get victory in every single battle. At least according to the guy we're studying right now. Truly, and also one of the best ways to learn and to study one's opponent is to do so directly, which is to say, have a conversation. One of the themes that we've talked about on this podcast before is the idea of sportsmanship. Uh, which is to say behaving in such a way that people want to have a conversation with you afterwards. Would be open to going and getting a beer or adult beverage of your choice or water or whatever. It just just <laughs> going and sitting by the <laughs> fire or going uh, after the tournament and, and talking with them and saying, how did you throw that really cool 
shot that you did, or or I saw this maneuver that you pulled uh, during the Warhammer tournament that was incredible. Can you explain a bit to me the mechanics behind that and how it all kind of fit together in your mind and get people talking about themselves? People love to talk about themselves. <laughs> it's the most reliable human resource is just the chattiness of other humans, especially when they're bragging in some way. So uh, this is a, a perfect time. And, and liquor them up a little bit. I'm not. I'm not advising it for too much. But you know, you, you, you learn a few things about Mealy I, Moses when he's had a few beers. I'm just saying. <laughs> Moses, I you love just, you, Moses, my bro. I hope you're having a good time down under. Dude, he is. Dude, he's slaying fools wherever he's at. That's guaranteed. How he does. That's how he does. Guarantee. I hope the Australian beer is treating him well. Yeah, he's off and about right now, isn't he? I think so. Yep. Um, but yeah, so uh, again, whatever whatever it takes. Again, not advocating anything immoral or illegal, but um, you get people talking about themselves. And and there's usually a quid pro quo. If somebody's going to be open to tra- sharing some trade secrets, you're going to need to be open to sharing a few uh, trade secrets. But remember that percentage I was talking about earlier, 66% of what you hear is either going to be non-applicable or stuff you've already heard. I'm not saying you need to give up your your diamond in the rough. You don't need to give up your diamond your best piece of little uh, of information that, that keeps you alive and gives you your edge. But there's absolutely pieces of information that can be traded for others. So I, I'm just saying be open to it. Be open yeah. to it. This is a continual growing process, and part of the nice thing in being in a community where if you lose, you don't actually die. I love it. It's pretty yeah. sweet. It's pretty there's sweet. no reason not to. There's no reason to not have fun with these people. Like, there's no reason to not talk to them, to not interact, and which is definitely, like, one of my uh, oddities. I am pretty aggressive and loud on the field, but off the field, I'm just a, a friendly young man. Uh, I just, I love chatting with people. I love people, and there's no reason to not talk to them, tell them good fight, you know, and both learn from it, you know, and both progress as fighters, you know, get to that better fight stage where you get those good fights. That's actually true for a lot of people. I know I know several people, my apprentice Desi being one of them, she has this incredible fierce field presence. Mm-hmm. Like if you if to hear her on the field and to watch her calling commands and and you know blowing people's brains out with her arrows, you would think that she is this uh, untenable force. And and while she is incredibly motivated, I don't want to take away from that. She's also a very cheerful, pleasant person who I'm I'm proud to call my apprentice. So she has this, like you said, this on field presence, this incredible ferocity that she's able to bring to to the, these fake battles that we're doing. Um, but then off field, she's also a, a very decent person. So remember that. Remember that people's battle faces, like my battle face, I get this this deadness to me mm. is the way it's been described to me. I just, I'm just kind of sitting there looking through people and there it, it's this, this coldness that it doesn't necessarily scream, come have a beer with me. That being said, I don't turn people away. If somebody comes up afterwards and wants to have a conversation, I, I, I love talking to people and I love learning things from people and teaching things to people. So if that's, if that's where, where people want to be, I'm totally open to it. My on field presence would not suggest it. Whatever, <laughs> I, I I look very disinterested in what's going on on field. I um, I lo- I I see through your hard exterior. You've known me how long? 
a minute. This is true. This we've, is true. We've shared many things, Onishiro. Yeah, this I, we, <laughs> we we this we know true. each other quite well at this point. Yes, um, we do. And 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 there's a and, and that's nice, but that also means that you can't see me as other people see me. Truly, truly. You know. And the same goes for you, good sir, or for myself, I should say. And we can sit here and say we're the most approachable dudes ever, but that doesn't change how other people are viewing us. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, I have a face, too. I make a face. <laughs> but I've noticed that most of the people that I thought were, were going to be unapproachable turned out to be really nice guys. Um, yeah. a, a con seems to have come up a lot in this episode, but he's one of those fellows who has a very intense game face, mm-hmm. very friendly, very oh. open to talking with people off-field. Super. Um, but he has a very intense game face. Uh, yeah. there's, a, there's a picture of him out there on the internet of him just wailing down on somebody. I think it is the most, like, iconic Hakan moment that has occurred in picture form. At least his is, on, is like, on-field persona. Have you seen it? You know, the one where oh, his, like, yes. his bat is, like, bending yes. time and space, and he's just, like, mean-mugging uh, above this dude. Like, it was... It's, it's hardcore. I love it. <laughs> Those are the kind of pictures that I show to people who are like, oh, yeah, it's your little tap-tap sport. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> let me show you now. Tap-tap. <laughs> so with all this knowledge out there, with all this, this plethora of ideas and all these plethora of, uh, of, of other words besides plethora to use to describe many options, <laughs> um, you should never be employing the same strategy twice. You should never, you should never, I mean, use the same ideas use the same concepts that you know work but never do the same exact same thing twice because people no. are going to start learning from that yeah you're going to become predictable you're going to get patterns and that's how people get beaten more easily <clears throat> don't spam but i don't want to over over overgo on this so we're going to go into our battle right now <laughs> oni and i get we get chatting and it's hard to stop us <laughs> i'm sorry but the battle that we have to demonstrate this idea of the substantial and insubstantial and and really just being the best in your pursuit of excellence is the mongols again i can't i know we've talked yes. about them again on the show i love them um but but it's hard to not have a conversation about them when you're talking about mastery of the battlefield i mean mm-hmm. they controlled the largest contiguous land empire that has ever existed on this planet yeah perhaps Britain technically had a larger one in in square area, but they ruled it from the ocean, and they did so with cannons and slavery and awful things. Not to say the Mongols were saints, but theirs was the largest contiguous empire. Um, So there's something to be said for founding something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And this battle, uh, it's the Battle of the River Kalka. And this is when they started to make their westward expansion um, after they had secured most of Asia, um, and they're moving through Central Asia and into Eastern Europe. Um, and this is specifically in, like, the s- southern Russia, like, uh, Ukraine, Crimea area mm. is where we're talking. And the, the year is 1223, and the day is the 31st of May. But our story begins some nine days earlier. Now, nine days earlier, the Russian army, or more specifically the army that was ri- uh, raised up by the Kievan princes had begun their pursuit of the Mongols, who they had assumed were in retreat from their army that was some twice the size of the Mongol force. Now, this force the Mongols brought under the command of Subatai and Jebe, two of uh, Genghis's most trusted lieutenants, um, was only supposed to be a recon force. It wasn't necessarily supposed to be a conquering or occupying force, but they had done a pretty good job (laughs) in getting there. Um, So the Kievian Rus 
Oh, just to interject, I believe, actually, from what I was reading as well, that they even put in a request to continue pushing. Like, this was something that they they were doing so good that they they personally wanted to go forward. If that campaign hadn't had to turn back for Genghis's failing health, there was not a whole lot that could have stopped them. Mm. Because Europe was not prepared for the the might of the Mongolian Empire. And even though these two were not Genghis, they were well-schooled in the secret history of the Mongols and in the 16 tactics that they described therein. Mm. Um, Now, they were up against a disjointed force. Uh, A bunch of princes had had a summit in Kiev, and they had decided to combine their forces... And only a fourth of these forces had proper military training, had ever actually seen a real battlefield before. And those who had, had only fought other Western armies. They had never fought anything remotely resembling the Mongolian army, and they were in for a serious surprise. Yeah. When the Mongols had first arrived... However, they were, they were spent out. Like I said, they had had this long campaign. This wasn't supposed to be something that uh, there was a conquering idea. And so they sent emissaries to the Kievian Russes, and specifically uh, to one, I'm going to totally mispronounce this, but Mstislav the Bold, uh, whose step, he had, a, he had a relative whose people were the closest to where the Mongolians were coming. Mm. And these emissaries said, hey, if you let us keep the lands that we've conquered so far, we'll not come in any further, and we can have a nice uh, trade alliance between us. Uh, he murdered them. Yeah. Murdered them straight out. That's and he, he was going to come to regret that, because, like I said, they decided to pursue. The Mongolians started their retreat, and so they'd set their their line and fall back, set their line and fall back. And they did this for nine days. And for nine days, these Russian princes, princes got stretched out because, you know, each, each group moved a little faster, slower than the others, depending Mm -hmm. on the day and conditions. And so after nine days of non-action, the, the, the coherency starts to break down and they're getting a little strung out. So finally, after all of this delay, Subutai reverses his forces on the, bat, on, the, on the banks of the Kalka River. And that brings us to where we, where we uh, started off with this idea on, on, the, on the 31st of May, joining battle. Now, it, when it begins, it's on the, the let's say, the eastern, the eastern bank. And so the Mongols have their back to the river, mm. and they are at first engaging the Voihirians and the Polovstians. I'm sorry if I'm, I'm butchering these. They're names I've only ever read. You are forgiven. Um... And so it goes well for the Russians at first. And the Mongols fall back across the river in good order mm-hmm. and form into a concave. We've talked about this idea before, this idea of a kill pocket or a concave, uh, a, a wide formation, a semicircle yeah. <clears throat> that you can pour into. And it's exactly what Subutai decides to do. He hits them with the light calf. So a little bit of background. I don't know if we covered this in the other Mongolian rep- episode. Mongolians have two types of cavalry. They have their light calf that is lightly armored, but mostly bowmen. So they can either be firing from horseback, and they're very accurate from horseback, or they can be firing dismounted, where they're also very accurate. When we're talking about the Mongolian longbow, I want you to understand that it was more powerful and had better range than the English longbow. Oh, they're insane. very widely lauded as being this great longbow, but the Mongolian longbow, or even shortbow, it's, a short, it's for horses. It's, it's even better. Crazy. So they're shooting, and they've got this wonderful kill pocket, and they're, they're pouring it in, 
and they start to fall back. These two groups, they they their advance turns into a rout, and they start to fall back across these bridges, back across the river. Meanwhile, the Galatians are advancing forward. So there's this confusion. There's this this motion going forward, while this motion going backwards, and that sows chaos into this army. And at that point, Subutai orders Suger and Teshi Khan to hit him on the flanks with the heavy cav. Now, the difference between the light cav and the heavy cav is implied in the names. <laughs> heavy cav had heavy armor, had mm-hmm. heavily armored like horses and rider. So you had a lance usually, a shield, and then a sidearm as a sword, uh, such as a sword. And so their whole idea was to ride in, break, and then just chomp through and just basically mm-hmm. mow back and forth through this, these openings that the light crab have created. And it's all in circular motions, either circular towards or circular away. But everything is in this constantly changing melee where the, the Mongols know exactly like what's going on. They've been oh. using these tactics all the way across Asia. The Russians have no idea what's happening. No <laughs> this is idea just insanity. So, as you can imagine, these, these two guys close in on the flanks and... Uh, this this is just a rout. Everything is going badly, and now another group arrives, and this these are the Chernigov and the Kievians. Now, uh, Mstislav the Bold was uh, amongst the Chernigov uh, group at this time. Uh, they arrive late to this horrible battle that's occurring. Very the Chernigov nice. attempt to flee and are killed almost to the man. The Kievian group tries to build a fortress out of their wagons. And are killed, basically, to the man. The only ones to be spared are the princes, because at the very beginning of this campaign, Subutai had sworn that because of Mongolian custom, not a drop of royal blood would be spent, would be uh, shed. Hmm. And so, when he got the princes afterwards, everybody except for Mrsislav the Bold, which I think it's ironic that he's the one dude that ran away, um, <laughs> the Bold, bravely ran away, away. Brave Sir Robin. <laughs> I'm glad you caught the reference. <laughs> just brave, 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 brave Sir Robin. So, um, but the other princes, uh, Subutai kept his word because what they did was they built the uh, the feasting hall over the princes, and the princes were slowly suffocated under the weight of these uh, these feasting dudes as the floorboards pressed down on them. What? Blood was not spilled. Subutai kept his word oh oh, that is the most metal (laughs) lawyering i've ever heard of (laughs) nobody ever talks like we were talking about with agincourt when we did that episode nobody talks about what happened afterwards i think i'm I'm wanting to check out this netflix show that's about king henry v because i'm sure they're going to show agincourt Mm. i wonder if they're going to show the widespread slaughter of the french prisoners as the flank occurs, as oh. we know happened in history. Uh, I, I want to see. I want to see if that happens. Um, but this is definitely one of those cases. And so the, uh, the Mongolians actually had to pull back at this point. This was, they didn't advance much further than this place, even though they had all the tactical acumen, because like I said, Genghis was getting old. So they, they went back to Mongolia, and several years later, Genghis died. Mm. And at that point, the period, this period of rapid Mongolian expansion ended um, and it fell to the whole fracturing of a, of a conquering nation thing because his sons were not as fit to lead. And uh, Kublai, 
could never get over the fact that he stole the Khanate from his brother. Mm. And so there was always this kind of civil war going on. So Mongolia was never able to reach this height again. This was the height of the Mongolian power and ability to expand. Mm. Not to say they didn't continue for another century. Um, But this was, this was nowhere to the effect, but this set the stage for Moscow up until this point, the Kievian princes had maintained uh, power in this area of the world, but because so many of their soldiers had been killed and because so many of the royalty had died, uh, Moscow actually was able to start developing preeminence in the area, which led to the Russian Empire as we know it to exist now, mm-hmm. centered in Moscow. But yeah, so that was the Battle of the River Kalka, one of my absolute favorites, and I thought that it, it demonstrates this idea of that flexibility making your opponent engage on your terms, which is exactly what Subutai did. He retreated for nine days before he was like, nope, this is the spot. And he hit him right there. And and he, he practiced, and he, he, like, he, re, he researched his opponent. He used these, these ideas that his army had been practicing over and over and over again um, and destroyed him. I mean, just it was, it was one of the few times in history where, where, a fight, where a win was this clean. Dude, it's incredible. And the and you know he's using the river, for example, to even expose to the maximum degree that he was potentially weak. You know to portray the wrong thing right. to the very last second. Well, again, he was it was all about evening the numbers, or or, or putting the numbers in the Mongols' favor because remember mm-hmm. they were outnumbered two to one. Yep. So if they had just joined battle on day one, it'd been game. It would have been game. Um, but as they, again, strung him out for nine days and then had him fighting across this bridge for the most part. Made that three to one or uh, 25% skilled fighter, like, really pulled that out, you oh, yeah. know? Like, what are your other troops going to do against these cavemen that they have no idea how they're even fighting? Well, at the time, I mean, the, uh, the, horse, the horse was the intercontinental ballistic missile. Of mm. the time, like <laughs> really? it, it, it was like if you had a good cavalry, that was the game winner in this in this era of warfare. And this was the bread and butter of the Mongol army. This was their like the horse was what they had grown up on, and and they had such a, a focus on their horses. Mm. Uh, oftentimes, the the horse that a, a rider rode would be killed when the rider died. Uh, so that they could ride through the spirit world together. But mm-hmm. a rider would often have three or four mares that they could string together, and then one, when one fatigued, they'd switch to a different horse. Yep. And so they were constantly riding fresh horses, and, and these the Mongolian horses, these step ponies, um, their natural diet was these short grasses, so they were used to getting their sustenance on the go. They didn't have to worry about bringing a bunch of uh, expensive feed with them or anything like that, because here they are riding in Europe, and, and there's these rich grasses everywhere. Their horses must have been going crazy. Oh. Um, I can oh, only imagine. Kick, kick everything right now. Uh, um, but yeah, so like mobility is the same way. Like if you if you look at Warhammer 40k, the current meta, or if you look at uh, um, Belagarth, mobility is never a bad thing. Fighters and units um, and armies that can capitalize on mobility a little bit, definitely have an advantage over their opponents if they're able to use it well. Um, there's also the same idea that uh, running onto somebody's sword, uh, you got to be patient. <laughs> it's a it's a checks and balance. Like, it's one of the most basic, like, yes, no uh, flow chart things. Like, 
is this fighter faster than you? Like, right. you are in trouble. Are they, are they going to beat you to that draw? Yep. But yeah, so uh, we hope this has been useful. Again, uh, whether or not this episode has been substantial or insubstantial, I suppose is up to you to all, but I hope it has been good. And um, I, I wanted to put in some plugs real quick before we end. Uh, we are on Facebook. I'm sure a lot of you are on there, but it's the, the Art of Wargaming uh, right there on Facebook. You can kind of get the episodes and see the things we're posting. Um, we have an Instagram account as well, where I'm sharing pictures of people's armies and uh, garb kits from Belagarth and other things that I think might be useful to, to war gamers. Um, and that is the Art of Wargaming podcast. Um, I think that's our tag on Instagram. And then we also have an email. If you have questions, comments, uh, concerns, constructive criticism, um, just anything at all, anything at all, a battle or a concept that you think uh, would be would be good for us to discuss on here, uh, you can give us an email at artofwargamingpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, I think that's all I got for today. How about you, Oni? Fantastic. Well, we yeah. hope this has been. Uh, a useful segment for you. We hope that this has led to a, a greater and deeper understanding of wargaming and, and the things substantial and insubstantial. And next week, we will be talking to you about maneuvers against the enemy. This mm-hmm. is one of my favorite chapters. I, I love this one. I'm going to say that about every single one. This is my favorite <laughs> show. This is my favorite show. This is my favorite show. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, you know, that's why we're covering it. It's a good one. It's just a just such a good text. Like, you know, when you can say that about every chapter. That's true. No, but this one's also really applicable. So we hope you tune in. We hope you're enjoying yourselves. But uh, for tonight, this is Yaga Malark signing off. And Oni Shiro signing out. <laughs>